Happy Tuesday, everyone. Welcome into a Tuesday special edition of the Final Whistle Sports Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Blaine Spencer. I have a real treat for you guys today. I have Dean Blandino, the rules analyst for Fox Sports, who does the rules anal- analyzing for the NFL and college football, if you're watching on Fox or Fox Sports 1, Fox Sports 2, etc. Dean, thank you so much for coming on the show today. How are you? And thank you so much. I'm great. I'm great. Thanks for having me. And uh, I'm excited to, uh, to sit down and, and talk a little bit. I am too. So I, first off, I want to give a quick shout out to Nathan Ramachandra from the N Hour Sports Show. He kind of was our little liaison here to get this yeah. set up. So I do want to give him a quick shout out and appreciation to him. He's doing great work there. If you haven't seen his stuff already, go check it out. He had Dean on uh, last week, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Yeah, yeah, last week. Yeah, so go check out that episode if you haven't already. So, Dean, what got you into officiating? I know you were hired as an intern by Jerry Seaman. Was that were you were were you an official coming in, or was that just something that came out of the blue? How'd that unfold? Yeah, it was just really lucky. I, I didn't have any experience officiating. I wasn't exposed to it at a young age. I didn't know anything about it. Um, I, I played sports my whole life. I played sports growing up. So obviously I had interaction with officials, but it wasn't something that I, I took an interest in. And um, when I graduated from, from college, I just, I wanted to stay involved in sports. I had a communications degree. I thought about, you know, maybe TV. Um, I kind of wasn't sure if I wanted to be behind the scenes or in front of the camera. I had experience in both. And but I knew sports was something that I was passionate about. And um, growing up in New York and all of the major pro sports organizations have an office in New York City. I sent my resume to the NFL, Major League Baseball, NBA, hockey, um, Major League Soccer, all of it. And, and it was just um, the NFL called. They had a couple of internships available. And um, I interviewed for, for three internships, one in PR, one in human resources and one in officiating with Jerry Seaman. And obviously Jerry liked me and hired me as an intern. And I just kind of learned officiating from, from being an intern and assisting and looking at video and just being in the right place at the right time and, and being very lucky. Did you think that it was going to correlate to your whole career or did you think it was just going to be a temporary stop? Yeah, I, I had no clue. If you would have told me then that this is going to be your career and you're going to do, you know, 25 years later, you're going to be still doing this and have made a career out. I would have said you're crazy. I didn't, I didn't anticipate that at the time. I just, it was the NFL. Um, I was a part of it. I was so happy and excited and it was just really, I wanted to make the most out of it, however long it lasted. And um, it lasted a lot longer than, than I would have thought. And I, and again, I'm very blessed to, to have had this career, you know, like like the way it, the way it played out and jerry he ended up when instant replay started to come out i think it was the late 90s if i'm not mistaken yeah. 99 yeah. season around there he put you in charge of one of the of instant replay what was what was going through all of that and trying to learn the nuances of replay putting it into nfl play trying to figure it out with the officials on the field off the field how much of a challenge was that yeah, it, it was it was a big challenge, and it was something we we had been working on 
Um, replay, the first, the first iteration of replay in the NFL start was in 1986. Okay. Um, I, wasn't, I wasn't involved in that, but it was 86 to 91, and in 91, it got voted out. And when I started in 94, we were kind of doing, um, you know, a, a, a pilot on the side. We were looking at plays and saying, okay, if we had instant replay, would this call get overturned, would overturn this, that type of thing. And so for five years, we studied it. We, we spent time with the competition committee. And like you said, in 1999, you know, the 98, between the 98 and 99 seasons, that off season, the, the ownership voted to bring replay back. And Jerry put me in, in charge of a lot of things like the system, the, the technical side of it. Uh, and uh, it was, you know, figuring out what's reviewable. You know, we, we had a blueprint from the old system and we really were able to work off of that, but it was, okay, what's reviewable? What does the, the, the system look like? Coach's challenge. How many challenges does each team get? Tied to timeouts. Who's responsible inside two minutes? Those types of things. And then it was, where do we find replay officials? Where, where are we gonna find these people to fill these spots? So it was a big challenge. And, uh, and obviously the system, um, it stuck and it, we were successful and, uh, and it's grown exponentially since 1999. It's across all sports right now. And um, it's, been, it's been, I think overall, it's been a positive for, for sports. How do you think it's developed since when you started instituting it in 99? What, what was the general things that you guys were trying to look at? And then how has it grown exponentially yeah. now? Yeah, I think when we put it in, the basic, the guiding principle was replay was an aid to officiating on, on game-changing plays. And it was, only, it was only there to fix the obvious mistake. That was the key, right? That game-winning touchdown and the ball hit the ground, right? That type of thing. And so that was the guiding principle. And, and ultimately, what, what has happened since then is technology continues to improve and the scrutiny and the pressure that, that are on officials to get every call right, that has increased so, so much that we're really involved in, in so many more things than just the obvious mistake in the, in the crucial situation. You know, we're reviewing um, seven or eight yard passes or line the game plays where, where it's not, you know, not critical to the outcome of the game. It has an impact, but it's not the game changing play. So it's definitely evolved. And I think technology has a lot to do with that. The technology is so, so much better today where you can do it um, very efficiently and not impact the flow of the game negatively. And, and so I think that's, that's, you know, how it's grown and, and really why it's, it, it's grown so much. As a high school and smaller collegiate official myself, it's a little, I would love to have instant replay right? during my stuff, but uh, unfortunately it's not like that, but it hasn't grown that far yet. Hope We'll see if it grows. Some, in some high school, right? In Texas, they're using it. In Alabama, they're using it um, in, in certain uh, in certain divisions. So we'll see. I think it's, I think it's coming. I agree. I think it's almost inevitable with the way technology has advanced so rapidly. And for you, you've actually was a, you were a replay official yourself and you had the opportunity to do two Super Bowls. What is the pressure and intensity of having to potentially make a game changing call in, a, in that potential scenario? Yeah, you don't, if you, I never really thought of it that way because it can become overwhelming if you think about, all right, we're making a decision. There's 
I don't know, 110 million people waiting for you to make that decision. So I never really thought of it that way, but, but it is, you know, there, again, we talk about the scrutiny and wanting to get every call, right. I, the, you know, the two Super Bowls for me were, were much different. Uh, my first Super Bowl was, was the, the Titans and, and Rams where, where the game ended on a tackle at the one yard line. Right. So that was, you know, could have been overtime. We're obviously looking at that play. It doesn't get more exciting than that. Um, and then, and then the other Super Bowl I work was, I think 35, I think that was with the Giants and the Ravens, mm-hmm. which was close for the first half. And then the Ravens kind of blew them out in the second half. So there wasn't a ton yeah. of really close end of game moments. Um, but again, it's just kind of you, you take each play as it comes and you just, you know, whether it's the first quarter in week one or the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl, you kind of have to treat it the same. And, and you know, from officiating, um, you know, you can't get too high or too low. You got to try to stay even keel. I got to ask, though, what what was going through your head as the as pr- pr- I think it was Price. I can't remember the Tennessee Titans wide receiver. He gets tackled and he's reaching. How many different angles did you guys have? Did you guys have the goal line angle at least? Yeah, yeah, we had the goal line look. And, and it was, right, it's such an exciting play. But from yeah. a re- replay perspective, it wasn't that close, right? It was still, he was still like pretty, you know. Yeah, good, he was a full distance. yard short, but yeah. still. So it wasn't like it was It was like that. <laughs> but but it's still, you know, the play's developing. And, you know, he catches, you know, and then he catches the pass. And is he going to get in? We're, we're ready. And then you just kind of then they, they rule them short and you go through your process. All right, let's find the let's find the knee down. Then let's look for the ball in relation to the goal line. Yeah, he's short and we kind of moved on. But but it's an exciting moment, um, you know, when you're when you're in it. And I can only imagine the, the, the moment that you guys were going through. I, it just sounds so surreal to me to be able to be just like there. And you're like the get the like literally the game is in your hands like yeah. at the last second which is kind of incredible but then you actually took a step back from the nfl and you started your own little training and evaluation program for yeah. officials out in california if, if i'm correct yeah. Yeah. and what what why did you leave was it just the right time did you want to try something else with officials what was your mindset behind it yeah it was a combination of those things i, I had an opportunity I, I was at the nfl and i loved what i was doing but I kind of, you know, got the sense without an officiating background, um, there was a glass ceiling for me in the officiating department. So I wasn't sure if that was where, uh, you know, my career was going to progress. And, I, and I, I had other things I wanted to do and try. And I had an opportunity to leave the NFL and start my own company and, and really deal with the relationships that I had made over the years with a lot of the college conference officiating coordinators, um, allowed me to, to work with them. So I was working with the Big 12 and the Big 10 and the SEC, and, and it, it allowed me um, to learn more on the, on the college side because all of my background was NFL. And, and I was lucky enough to stay involved with the NFL. And, and I did that for a couple of years. And, and you know, was, it was different because I was working in an office and in that environment. And, and then I went off and did my own thing. And it's, it's, it's a different world. You work from home. Um, everybody's working from home today, but, but back then it wasn't as, it wasn't as, uh, as prevalent, but um, you, you know, you have to motivate yourself and, and it was really a great experience for me. And, and then I was lucky enough for the NFL to, to, to want to bring me back full time. And, um, you know, and then I was, uh, and then I was made the, the head of officiating in 2013 after that. Yeah. 
Yeah, when they came calling back to bring you back on as the director, and then you also became the vice president uh, of the officiating. What what did you try to? Were you trying? Did you bring anything that was from what you learned in your own business? And did you try to instill that into the NFL? And what kind of ideas did, were you trying to reinvigorate the department with? Yeah, that you know, I had been, you know, I'd spent twenty years in the department, and I had done every job within the department. And I started as an intern, I did video, I did stats, I did, you know, putting training training tapes together. So I I had experienced it from from every every aspect and it really taught me so much. I I learned from a lot of good people like Jerry Seaman and Art McNally and and others that that I was able to see what they did that worked, maybe some things that didn't work. Um, and I just try to take my perspective, someone that I wasn't, I didn't, wasn't brought up in this officiating world and I hadn't had an officiating background. So I try to take the perspective of somebody kind of from the outside, more of a fan's perspective, more of somebody that's learning officiating, um, you know, later in their, in their career. And I try to try to take that um, into it and maybe, and, you know, try some new ideas and some new training methods and, and, uh, and, and was able to, and the NFL was great. You know, the people that I reported to and even up to the commissioner, Roger Goodell, um, they were great. They allowed me to, to do certain things that I thought would be good for the program and good for the game. And, and that was, a, that was a, a big deal for me. And I, and I really enjoyed it. Were there any challenges of trying to instill those different ideas with that fan perspective that you were trying to institute? Yeah, there's always challenges. You have, you know, one of the, one of the things, right. It's, it's people sometimes are afraid of change and, and especially in, in a, an organization like the NFL that had been around at that time for, you know, 80, 90 years. And, and so you kind of get set in your ways and sometimes like, well, who is this guy that never officiated that's going to come in and tell us what to do. So there's always a little bit of that, but, but I, but I really, over the years, you know, gained gained I think the respect of most of the staff and, and, uh, and they appreciated, you know, what I, what I was bringing to the table. And, and I always just try to listen and make people feel a part of the process, right? Not just, here's what we're going to do. Um, let's get your input. Let's get your feedback. Let's talk about it. And then, and then we, as, as a kind of a collaboration, here's, here's what we're going to do. We all talked about it. We got feedback from different groups and you get that buy-in from, from, you know, that way. So it was, um, it was really important to do it that way. And, and yeah, there's all, there was always challenges. It, it's not, I loved it, but um, it's not, uh, if you want, if you want constant positive reinforcement, don't, don't go into officiating. That's not, you don't get a lot of pats on the back and great job. It's, it's, it's a lot of the other, the other, uh, you know, uh, more negative, but, but it's still, I loved it. Yeah. The negativity comes with the territory. It's yeah. an- um, then you switched gears and you decided to go into broadcasting. Fox Sports gave you that opportunity as a rules analyst. Yeah. Why did why broadcasting? I know you said you had the communication background coming out of school. Was that just like the next step that you wanted to take? Yeah, I knew that I, that was a, a next step for me at some point. I didn't know when that opportunity would present itself, but I knew it would be there at some point. Um, it happened sooner than I, than I thought, you know, with Fox sports and um, they, you know, they had an opportunity and it really, you, you know, it wasn't what was wrong with my position at the NFL. It was just so many good things and so many things that were right about this new opportunity for me. 
um, that really made the difference. And, and I, I, I probably would have, um, you know, if I had to plan it out, I probably would have stayed at the NFL a little bit longer and then made the move, but the opportunity presented itself when it did, and I just couldn't pass it up. And, uh, and so, um, and I really haven't regretted it, um, you know, a day since it's been such a really, you know, the people at Fox sports are unbelievable. They're great people to work with. And I've learned, you know, I've always tried to diversify my skill set and my, and my experience, my knowledge, and I've learned a lot on the TV side. And, and I feel like that, that, that has made me just better all around. And, and so um, it was definitely the right decision at that time. Speaking of diversifying the language, you also were doing college football and NFL. You've even done XFL. You were hired to do their stuff for in 2020. And then even a little bit of stuff for the, I think it's AAF, correct? Yeah, so, yeah. Like, how, how were you juggling all the different rules? Because I know, the, especially yeah. the XFL and the AAF, they were trying little different nuances with the league. Was it pretty much set in stone about being pretty much the same? Or how, how, how did you juggle that? Yeah, so it's been, that's been a challenge. Just, just juggling college and NFL rules on Saturday to Sunday is a challenge. I mean, my, my foundation is NFL rules, so I always default to that. Mm-hmm. But there's obviously differences. And, and, and so I've had to work pretty hard at the college rules. I'm still not there. That's going to be, I think, a lifelong pursuit. But um, yeah, it was, you know, the AAF was great. We used NFL rules. There were less there were less differences in the AAF than the XFL. Um, The XFL was so much fun because the XFL um, really had an opportunity to, to look at the game and, and innovate in a way that you never could with the NFL, right? The NFL is established. You've got to, you know, rules changes. There's a process. You have to have 24 out of 32 clubs vote. Yes. With the XFL, it was, you know, we can do whatever we want, right? We're going to, but, but our, Again, our, our guiding principle is the game, and, and we, we want to maintain the integrity of the game, but we could make changes, we could get input from different people, and, uh, and let's think outside the box, and, and I thought the XFL, you know, the people involved did such a tremendous job, and it was so well-received, and that's why it was just when I think about it still, I get so, I get sad about how it ended because of, you know, the pandemic, and who could have who could have possibly predicted or, or planned for that? So I'm hopeful that that the XFL, I guess this is now 3.0, will will, yeah. will go at some point in the in the near future. And uh, and I, I'm hopeful to be a part of it when it does. Yeah, uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, I think he will definitely be able to reinvigorate no the league without group. No question. That group with Dwayne and Danny Garcia and the group behind them, um, I, I don't think they got they got in it to, to fail. I think they're going to yeah. be successful. So, What are a couple of those rule changes from the XFL that you guys were tinkering with that you would like to actually see? Or are there any rule changes that you would like to see in NFL or college football? Yeah, you know, the XFL kickoff was really innovative and and, and I thought it accomplished what, um, what it set to accomplish with you know, keeping the return in the game, but eliminating or reducing some of those high impact collisions that you see on kick returns, the mm-hmm. traditional kickoff. Uh, so I thought that was such a, a, a real positive change. Um, and I know the NFL has looked at it. I don't know, you know, the NFL continues to tweak. I was a part of those tweaks to the kickoff, you know, the, the formations on both sides of the ball and, and that type of thing. Um, so I'm sure the NFL will continue to look at that. Uh, I, I just thought the access with the XFL was was tremendous. Mm-hmm. You know, letting the fan, the viewer, 
you know, hear and see things that they're not, you know, not normally used to seeing, you know, watching the replay official work through the process in the booth, listening in. It's so cool because I think sometimes we we forget, especially on the officiating side, that these are just people and, and they're working through a process. And so anytime you can peel back that curtain, I think sometimes, right, there's, there, it's not, there's negatives to it sometimes, but I think overall it's positive because people can look at it and say, okay, I understand. I understand why that decision was made versus the decision is made. We don't know what was said, what happened. And now we just have questions. I, I think it was, I thought it was really good. Yeah. And I think uh, XFL had the fourth and 15, right? But instead of the onside kick, was that no, one of them? So that was the AAF. The okay. AAF had, the, had, a, had a fourth, um, 13 a fourth or something. And 12. Yeah. Fourth okay. and 12, um, which is what the NFL is, you know, they're proposing uh, the, the onside kick alternative. The Eagles are proposing that um, they proposed it last year. Uh, I don't know if that has enough support to pass, but it's definitely something that's going to continue to be part of the conversation. Um, The XFL had more of a traditional onside kick. You just had to declare um, there were no surprises because the the regular XFL kickoff Mm -hmm. was so different. And, um, but yeah, the the fourth and 15 um, concept is interesting. It it worked, you know, in the AAF, it worked a couple of times. It's it's an exciting play, right? A fourth down play, fourth down conversion. Um, But again, I, I, I think, I don't know if it has the support to pass in the NFL, but we'll see. Yeah. And on the college football side, I know the issue with trying to define a catch, especially from the collegiate level to the NFL level, one feet versus two feet. Sure. Do you think college should go to the two, the two feet mentality? Cause I know some wide receivers, maybe not this class, cause this wide receiver class is absolutely phenomenal, but some of these classes, you see these younger wide receivers, they struggle to, instigate and figure remind themselves that it's two feet and not that one foot that they're accustomed to to college which sometimes creates a difference of play in the game so yeah I think you know and I've I've got it I've been asked that question before and I've been in discussions both on the college side and the NFL side with the rules committees Um, I think they're I think college is comfortable with the one foot Mm -hmm. I think one thing we tend to forget with college is we think about right Ohio State and Clemson and Alabama but You've got to now think about Division Two, II, Division Three. There, there are so many different levels of college football and so many different levels of athlete that that to say, you know, two feet, yeah, the 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 Power Five and those players that are going to get drafted wouldn't have an issue with it. But you know, you go down to Division Three, that would be it would be a drastic change, and offense mm-hmm. would suffer, scoring would go down. So I think that's probably the main reason why they, they like the, the one foot rule. And, and I think it's good because the NFL is a step up, right? It's the yeah. best of the best. And, and, and so, you know, for the, for the receivers and the, and the backs that can't figure that out, they're not going to be, they're not going to be in the NFL, you know, for, for very long. And that kind of separates the uh, you know, the, the, the really good college player that, that can't cut it in the NFL and, and the, and the player that is going to make it in the NFL. Uh, speaking of the NFL catch, that rule has uh, changed almost every year how to define what is a catch. Uh, for you, what, w- what has been your definition of a catch for you personally when you were with the NFL yeah. and now what you try to translate to broadcast? Yeah, yeah, I always tell people a catch. It's, it's just there's three, three parts to it, A, B, C, one, two, three, however you want to phrase it. But it's control. 
Um, it's both feet or another body part. This is the NFL rule. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then it's time. And, and so having the ball long enough to do something with it, perform an act common to the game. And I think that that time is the one that we struggle with sometimes, right? Cause we can, we, we can figure out controlling two feet for the most part, but then, okay. After the second foot, how long does he have to have it? And I think that's where we've gotten into, you know, some, some struggle and some challenges. Uh, I think the rule it's as long as I've been involved in the NFL and and I know people that I've worked with that were involved long before me, that there's always been some form of controversy about, about the catch rule. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and it's not, you know, we're always going to have those plays that we debate because there's judgment, there's judgment involved and my judgment may, you know, I may look at it a little bit different than you do. And, uh, but, but that's really the the three parts, it's control, Mm -hmm. the body part and time that that's what a catch is. And typically it's that time element that, that creates the most issues. What was the, what's the toughest call that you had to make in a game for you? Um, you know, the toughest one, there, there's a few that, that, that jump out that were really tough. Um, I remember there was a playoff game, the Panthers and the Cardinals. Mm. And this is the year the Cardinals, um, uh, the Panthers went to the Super Bowl and lost to Denver, but there was a Larry Fitzgerald play and uh, it, it was ruled to catch on the field. And, and we looked, we must've looked at that for a while. And, and I, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't hundred percent that it was a catch, but I wasn't hundred percent that it was incomplete. Mm-hmm. It was one of those kind of in between plays and we let it stand. And that's kind of what you, you know, if you don't have indisputable video evidence, right. If it's not clear and obvious, you got to let it stand. Um, that, you know, the, the most controversial one I probably was a part of was the Des Bryant play that people always bring up. Um, that play, it wasn't that difficult based mm-hmm. on the rule at the time, but it certainly was controversial based on, you know, the game, the playoffs, the Packers and Cowboys and, and what was at stake. Um, but there's been so many plays over the years that, you know, the, the David Tyree helmet catch in the Super Bowl, you know, I was in the replay booth for that. There, there's just so many, so many amazing Santonio San Holmes against the Cardinals in the mm-hmm. Super Bowl. Um, so many plays kind of stand out. Those are some, those are some great plays that you've been a part of. And I want to transition back to college real quickly. And I know the evolution of the targeting rule has become such a huge uh, standing and point that's been a part of the development of the game to try and enhance the safety of the game. And the NFL hasn't really adopted that college football philosophy of the targeting rule yet. Do you think that's inevitable that they will take it? Or do you think the college football will, more likely go to the NFL adoption of it, or will it stay where it is? I, I think it'll stay where it is. I think the the targeting rule is it's 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 a good rule. There's certainly been some growing pains and some challenges with it. I think the issue that that college football has is right. You're talking about student athletes. Mm-hmm. You can't find them for illegal hits, right? So so that's why the 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 deterrent is the ejection, the disqualification. That's so the targeting rule. Right, you're disqualified for the remainder of that game, or you could miss the first half of this of the next game. Um, with the NFL, the rule, the the, the actual protections are very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that the NFL doesn't have an automatic disqualification attached to it because the NFL feels that look, you have you have, you have smaller roster sizes, you know, and there's limits. In college football, you could have 100 players dressed. Um, in in the NFL, right, you're you're dressing 53, 54, depending on you know, where we are with, with the, the roster, but 
you know, the NFL also has the ability to, to suspend and find players. And, uh, and so they feel comfortable with that. The actual protections are very similar. Defenseless players get protection from forcible contact to the head and neck. You can't lower the head and initiate with the helmet um, in, either, in either sport. So, um, but I, I think both, both groups are comfortable where they are, but, but I would love to see more conversation um, with college football rules and NFL rules to just further align them, especially on the safety thing, because I think as players, if players are, are, are are playing to the same rules in college football, the transition is, is, is easier when they get to the NFL in terms of the safety. They know the types of things they can't do. They know what they can do. Uh, and I think that would make the game better. I, I agree. I think it's going to be an interesting, I think the deterrent is right. The, the, the student athlete, there's just no way that you can, I think it'll be interesting to see how they tackle it when they get their likeness though. Will you be? Will you yeah, attack you the? Then, will you, you be able yeah. to use the image and likeness as a part of your deterrent now as well? I think that'll be a unique component that may be instituted that I would not approve, but I think no, that could yeah, be a potential know. possibility. Yeah, it would be interesting to see how that all plays out. Yeah, and then lastly, before uh, we switch gears to the documentary that you worked on, um, I want to get your overall take. The NFL announced that they're going to a 17-game season. What was your initial reaction to it? Do you think it's good for football? Do you think it's bad for football? I know a lot of players have really came out and promoted that this, this is not what they want, especially the high-end athletes. But I think it's also a part of the lower end of athletes that are making the minimum. They get that 17th paycheck, which it really helps them. So what, what was your balance yeah. on it? Yeah, I, you know, I wasn't surprised. I, I, this, is a, this has been a long time coming. Um, it's from a, from a business perspective, it makes all the sense in the world, right? If that's your, you know, and I never, I never use the word product to, 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 to describe football, but if that's your product, um, more of it is good, right? So, because everybody loves NFL football, everybody's watching it. Um, the networks are paying a premium because of the ratings that NFL football gets. So, so to add another game makes, makes great business sense, right? But, but you mentioned the players. Um, it's from a safety perspective, right? This is a very physical um, game to play. It's, it's different, right? It's different than baseball um, or even basketball where, where you know, they play longer seasons because, because they can. NFL football, football plays a shorter season because it is such a brutal sport sometimes. Um, so you do have to be concerned about that. You have to be concerned about um, keeping players healthy. Um, I think what, what you'll see is, you, you know, and co I know coaches complain about this. They don't have enough time um, to, to work with these players in, in training camp and in practice. They're not, you know, they're not in pads as much as they were 15, 20 years ago. So you're going to try to keep players healthy because, you know, now um, we've got another game that, that is going to count in the standings that may be the difference between us making the playoffs or not. And, uh, and so from a, from a health and safety perspective, um, it's, it's not, it's not all that great, but from a business perspective, it, it, it definitely makes sense. Yeah. And I don't think it helps either that the, the NFL and the players are trying to make sure that they go all virtual in their off season training programs permanently, like they did last year because of the COVID, do you think that'll make even more of an impact of seeing uh, coaches rest players a lot more than you would significantly see, especially if a uh, playoff spots locked up already, you'll see more players sitting. 
Yeah, I think you could, you know, that that's certainly, you we always think about unintended consequences and, and you certainly, you know, in theory, you'd want that, okay, we're playing an extra game and all those games are going to count. But we know right now, we know that that the last weekend of the season, not all those games matter, right? There are, there are a lot of games that don't have, they matter for draft position, but they don't matter for the postseason. Um, so so there could be more games that, that don't matter. And, or, or we, you know, we're sitting, we're locked into the number two seed. Um, we're not going to play. And we saw teams do that, right? We're not going to play our, or, you know, our quarterback or our, our, our star defensive player, whatever it may be. So, so again, I think it, it, it's the bottom line is look, it's, it's going to help the bottom line. So that's why they're doing it. And you're just going to have to figure out all the other unintended consequences as we, as we go along. And I think coaches, yeah, they're going to have to keep players um, just, just be even more mindful of just keeping players healthy because we're extending the season. Absolutely. I want to transition now to the Her Turf documentary where you were the executive producer on that, um, where it talks about three female football referees trying to level the playing field, as per se, especially with women's in sports and is trying to have them get that fair shot in officiating. I know you were at the NFL when Sarah Thomas was hired and she yeah. is she now broke a barrier ref, being an NFL referee at the Super Bowl. Just can you detail the documentary and what the impact of what uh, Sarah was able to accomplish this season? Yeah, that was a, a really an amazing experience to be a part of that documentary. The, the filmmaker, Chantel Hansen, she um, she had followed, she had this idea and she met, met these female officials and followed them around and kind of, you know, there was a football camp, the Harold Mitchell football camp. And, uh, you know, there's, there's football officiating camps all over the country where officials go and, and they'll, they'll work, whether it's, whether it's seven on seven flag or, or, or other, other types of football and, uh, and just get reps and get better. And, and Chantel followed these three women officials and, and learned so much about them and just there, it's hard enough being a, 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 an official, but then being a, a female official in a, in, in what, what has been and continues to be a male dominated uh, profession um, that creates a whole nother set of challenges. And, uh, and it was just a fascinating experience to be a part of. And, uh, you know, we, the, the film won a bunch of awards and some mm -hmm. film festivals and, and we're, we're looking to, you know, we'll, we'll make it, um, release it to the, the general public online, hopefully in the next couple of months. And, and, uh, and now we're thinking about maybe doing something more of a, a longer series and following game officials and, and learning about their lives and just trying to humanize, um, these people because that they're, they're just people like you and me and, and, uh, but sometimes we don't treat them that way. And, uh, and I think, you know, anything we can do to educate and, and expose people to, um, you know, what officials go through outside of the, the you know, the field, the yeah. court, the ice, whatever it is, I think that's a good thing. What, what are some of the biggest takeaways that you, that the documentary wants to present? Yeah, I think that it's just the challenges that these, that these, ladies have they they you know you're dealing with like i said a male-dominated profession not just the officiating but you know obviously coaches and players and and uh and so you know how are they viewed and and because you because you you never played the game you're not a man you do you know you can't you can't officiate it and that we know that's nonsense but but that's what a lot of female officials deal with and and i think again it's just just realizing that um you know these these women 
they didn't, you know, they didn't know that football officiating was an option. They, they got exposed to it for, from a, a variety, for a variety of different reasons. And, a, and it became a passion of theirs. And so, you know, one of the things in the film festivals when we met people, especially young girls, they said, I didn't know I could be a football official, right? And that's so cool to hear because now this, this girl could, you know, it's a whole nother avenue that she could pursue that she didn't even know was an option. So, and that's why Sarah, Sarah was so important because now, you know, for, for young women to see someone like Sarah at the top of her game and, and now working the Super Bowl. Um, that's tremendous. And, and, and it's really something that um, I think has such a great impact beyond just, you know, the, the game itself. Do you think, what do you expect this to bring? Do you think the more women will end up taking on the challenge of being a, a football official or do you think it's, or it's going to be more of a s- slow progress? Yeah, we're hopeful. Look, it's been, it's not going to happen overnight. We're hopeful that, that this will, will kind of, ramp it up a little bit and, and introduce young women to officiating and, and they could get started. And then, um, you know, and it's not just getting people started when women or men, it's, it's then retaining them because as you know, they're, you know, you, you can have a bad experience, you know, early on. And if you don't have somebody that can mentor you and walk you through that and help encourage you, um, there's so many young officials that start and then they quit because they're getting, you know, they're getting abused for, you know, and, and um, verbally abused by, by a lot of times by adults, parents, parents, coaches. as, as a, as one who has heard it yeah. from parents, parents are actually a lot worse than the athletes sometimes, which is unfortunate. No, no question. Every, you know, the national uh, association of sports officials, they do, they do these polls of sports officials and, 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 Every time, right? It's the parents at the top that, that are the worst offenders. The, the kids, the players are least. It's parents, coaches, and the players. It's it's not as it's it's rare. It's and and that's sad. And that's something. Um, and that and that goes for both men and women. And we just have to continue to to combat that and make it a make it a more you know a, a better environment that people can can uh, can be a part of. Yeah. And lastly, before I let you go, I was reading that on the Meet the Turf that you actually did a little bit of comedy. Is that true as well? What, yeah, what was, that was what was yeah. your go to bit? I got to know what was the go to bit? What was the go to? Um, a lot of my bit. I grew up in, in, in a big Italian family and my mom is is probably the most unintentionally funny person on the planet. So a lot of it is just experiences that I had I didn't do it you know I haven't done it in a long time it was never a career goal of mine I just enjoyed it Mm. and it really helped me in my career but uh, for me it's just you know things that I observed things that that I that I experienced and um, it was a lot of fun and it it, it helped me it helped anybody that that has a fear of public speaking um, you know get up in front of a group of strangers with a microphone that'll uh that'll it'll either it'll make you never speak in front of a group again or or it'll overcome you'll overcome that fear you heard it here first people go to an open mic night and really test the waters there you go there you go well dean i i'm really honored that you were able to come on with me today it was a really awesome conversation uh I hope that the season progresses like it did last year. We don't have any of these COVID pauses and I look forward to seeing what the future holds for the Her Turf documentary, hopefully being fully released. And then you as well at Fox Sports. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Blaine.
Absolutely. All right, everyone. You guys enjoy your Tuesday. That was your Tuesday edition of the Final Whistle Sports Podcast.